just trust me, okay? This is Michael. And once again, I am joined by the lovely, gorgeous, redhead firecracker, Channing Becker. How are you, my dear? <laughs> Great. Fabulous. So, one of the best things I'm excited to be able to say is that you now are in possession of Master of Public Health from none other than EVMS. Is that correct? That's correct. Yay! Congratulations! Yay, it took so long. I bet it felt like a billion years. <laughs> like a billion years. Yeah. Yes. So I keep checking Blackboard to make sure my assignments are loaded. <laughs> You're like, is this is, is this, this legit? Am I done? Am I done? Am I really done? Sure? Yes. So congratulations. I think Thank that's you. awesome. What I wanted to do with this segment was, because for me, I was kind of curious, um, when COVID was at its height, which I think everyone can agree, it's kind of going down in the chaos factor for everybody. It's like, oh, okay, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. It's not as bombastic as it was when people be like, oh my God, you yeah. know, freaking out. So we had talked at one point and you had said, you know, this is actually a part of my education. This is what I'm learning. I didn't realize myself what actually was entailed for someone who possesses a degree in public health, what exactly you're going to be doing. So in looking up the questions for this segment, that's where that's derived from. And I figured, why not go that route? Because you're freshly thinking about all of this. I am fresh. So let's go ahead and talk about walk me through a significant project, research or otherwise, that you have carried out. Okay. Pertaining to public health. All right. Go ahead. So I'll just speak on my practicum that I just recently did. I had to work with the Y. So I worked with my own company that I work for and I worked with them about mental wellness. Okay. And instead of um, the stigma of mental illness or talking about mental health, we have taken a different direction toward mental wellness. And And how important that is. And how important that is, especially coming out of this pandemic, we are seeing people stressed out, putting on the pandemic pounds. Go figure. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) it's really stressful. Um, But to be honest, um, we'll segue into maybe later on. I proposed a program at the Y called... Um, yoga of 12-step recovery and this was yoga that is beautiful for people in recovery from alcohol addictions uh, sex addictions anything any kind of addiction has okay. a 12-step recovery program right. so um yeah i think that we're moving in a different direction when it comes to treating whole health of the person instead of like oh get to the gym and jump on the treadmill right like that's not it's not you know, enough. It's not enough. It's not enough just for them to have a membership. You got to get get down to the nitty gritty. I've been personal trainer for 17 years. You have? I, yeah. Say that again. I've been a personal trainer for 17 years. I think that's so important to point out, too, because there's one thing that I think a lot of people are familiar with, which is like myself, you know, I go into a facility, whether it's like someone like One Life or someone like Anytime or The Y or whatnot, all these places are sitting there telling you right away, blah, 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 act now and you'll get a free session with our personal trainer. But I believe it's true that not all personal trainers were created equal. So what would be something that if I want to make sure I'm working with a qualified personal trainer, what would I be looking for from them? What should they have? They should have a certification. Of um, what? A nationally accredited certification. There's multi, uh, in-personal training. So what's something um, that you have that was able I to... I have National Academy of Sports Medicine okay. and NIDA. Um, I was trying to acquire my ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine. Um, there's ACE. There's nationally accredited 
certifying agencies out there. So okay. you can you can look those up. They're actually very readily available. But you also want somebody who is not going to send you to their Instagram page. Thank you. Again. <laughs> And so, and I feel like, like she doesn't fun. really like Instagram. I hate Instagram so much <laughs> because of what it's done to bastardize a lot of fields. what we do in on my field and how how much we've worked to get down to the nitty gritty. I have people who don't show up for sessions because they're too hungover, and then the conversation right. doesn't become about you know how hard they're going to work that day. It's like, well, you don't have anything to give, so what right. are we doing here? Right? What are we doing here? So there's a lot more to um, engaging in a wellness program than, and it's a lot of psychology. Okay. There's more psychology behind it and the mental piece before you get your program started is so important to address. And if your trainer does not ask you the basic questions about your lifestyle, then you know it's not a good trainer. Agreed. So what are some other things that maybe somebody should be looking for if they want to make sure they're getting someone who actually knows what they're doing? Well... You don't want a fat trainer. <laughs> I'm just going to be real. Like, so maybe don't, you don't need to necessarily look at their Instagram page, no. but maybe you can look at them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I understand I, We that. are a walking business card. The reality is we are in sales. I am in sales. I've been in sales for 17 years. I have to sell myself. And I wa- if I walked around and looked like a chunk of monk and shoved t- t- Taco I mean, it's, Bell it's in my true. face. It's true. I do eat Taco Bell. By the way, I do too. I do the grilled chicken tacos. Ooh, the quesalupa, y'all, <laughs> and quesalupa combo for six sixty nine. All right, so back to where we were headed with the whole public health okay. circumstance. Let's circle back to what do you think? And this is with COVID aside. Sure. What do you think is the most pressing problem facing public health today, in your perspective? Health disparities across. Social determinants of health. So try to zone in. So what we don't understand in this, I'm going to go right there with um, my socioeconomic background. I have always had access to health care. I have always. my, My parents were military. It was never a question that if I was sick, I could access a physician. Okay. I could. That's not... The world we live in. We have a broken, broken healthcare system okay. that um, charges people out the ass yeah, for I, oops, basic, yes. basic human needs to care for ourselves from the inside out. So broken. would you care to specify one area or one thing you've seen that is just like, why does it cost that much when it is so necessary? Insulin. Okay. Insulin. Who? Who? Who decided that insulin can cost that much? How much are we talking? It's like over $600 for insulin. Yeah. It's wow. insane. It's insane. I don't understand how these basic human needs aren't being met. We just have a very greedy pharmaceutical society. Mm-hmm. We have um, people who want to make money off of sick people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much money in illness. There's no money in wellness. People get well. What kind of money are you going to make? True. I agree with that. I mean, I guess I didn't think about it with insulin because why? It's not something that impacts me. But I do know a lot of people that it does impact. These would be diabetics that are out there. And I don't know if everyone's aware, but there's a lot of diabetics that need it. So, yeah, I didn't really 
know that. I didn't think mm-hmm. about that. So is this part of what was driving you for public health? What drew you, drove you into this field? I actually wanted to be in health promotion. And when I first started this program, it was a joint program between ODU and EVMS. So Old Dominion University and Eastern Virginia Medical School. And there were four tracks, health promotion, epidemiology, environmental health, and policy and management. And I was in health promotion because I'm going to promote being healthy. Well, Halfway through it, I realized I do not want to hand out condoms and clean needle kits. No. No, I want to change the policy and I want to change health care for all. I'm a big proponent for universal health care. I've written multiple papers on it. Um, Germany, Canada, France, all of these countries are kind of, they're doing the right thing for their country. And we always think that, oh, it's something for free, cost somebody else. That's not what it's about. It's not what it's about. It's about creating a healthier society because they don't have these social determinants of health where they can't access a doctor. Yeah. It's it's so simple. It's literally handicapping people. Like, they just have no choice. They're up against the wall and they don't know what to do. And everybody's so greedy about making money off people for them to be healthy. Yeah. I don't get it. It's really tough. It is. And like <clears throat> you said, though, I think one of the things you hit on was the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. That's... I mean, if you can't see money, that, money, money. you're choosing money. not to see that. Choosing not to see. Yes, no I agree with that. So we're going to go ahead and take our first break here, and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back. So one of the things I wanted to talk about, too, was now we've talked about some ways that maybe you feel about certain things going on in society right now as pertaining to health. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I wanted to hit on now would be an example of a health outcome from something that's been implemented already. And I think you had touched on this already um, on our break. You said the D.A.R.E. program. Uh, So this is something that you are a proponent for or against, or maybe just the execution was bad, or what are your thoughts here? So this is a fail? This is a fail. Okay, explain. Yeah, the D.A.R.E. program is a fail. So let's talk about it for those who don't understand. I think everyone's heard of D.A.R.E. I think some of the listeners won't necessarily know who implemented it, which was Nancy Nancy Reagan. Reagan. And that was part of her big rollout for being first lady they all have some sort of campaign to stand on so what happened what went wrong so dare is drug abuse resistance education we've all had it in elementary school especially 80s and 90s babies especially 80s and 90s babies and it was delivered by local sheriff's departments or police officers in their um attempt to stop people from using drugs Mm -hmm. and that's not a it was such a fail. Every, I mean, if you there's one, no baseline measurement. You can't measure those kids and then follow them through the rest of their life. That's not science. There was no scientific method used for this D.A.R.E. program. How am I supposed to track me from fifth grade all the way up until now? It would definitely be a fail. Everybody who right. went through D.A.R.E. has tried a drug or yes. used alcohol. Yes. So fail completely it resistance education it's so ridiculous so let's talk about this then so with that we there was a question i was going to ask but it wasn't necessarily framed the right way so let's frame it around this so if you were to attack 
this specific type of program with this hopeful outcome of reducing drug use and all of this in underage, you know, I mean, obviously, if people are going to do what they're going to do after they're 18, 21, whatever, you can't really do anything about that. But to keep them from maybe wanting to go down that path before they graduate high school, or maybe even college, what would you implement to kind of have a different outcome that would be more beneficial than DARE has done? Is there anything you can think of? More counseling, more classes, more awareness. I know that my kids will not go down that path, maybe because they've seen me do it. Okay. So it is a witness. Okay. It's witnessing something that scares you away from it. And that's not actually a real behavioral scare tactic that we promote in public health. Right. But really, it were, you know, it could work. It could work. Is this kind of like what you see um, when prom season is around and yeah. they have the huge wrecked car sitting out in front of the high schools? Yes. Okay. That's not actually a very good scare tactic. You're okay. not supposed to use those kind of tactics on children anyway. Right. So what would yeah. be optimum? Just more information? More information. Talking about, I mean, kids are going to experiment with drugs. That's... That's a a reality. No, it's, it's a reality. It's it's unavoidable. Okay. It's unavoidable. However, I you know I don't I don't know the answer because I went through dare and I never touched a drug till I was in college. I agree with that too, and that I was where that's where I was at as well. And mm-hmm. the only thought that kid. the only thought I can think of pertaining to this specifically because it's interesting that you chose this was that I feel like there could be more open conversations, maybe more speakers that have this in their background to be able to let kids know, like, this is reality, like, this can happen. Maybe wait until you're more informed. Well, that and I think we should do more mental health screenings of children before so we can predict who might be more susceptible to using or if they have some predisposition to addiction, alcoholism in their family, more childhood screenings. So we can predict it and maybe prepare the families to go, hey, maybe you guys should have more information. So, so maybe more in involvement from like guidance counselors guidance and things? Guidance counselors, uh, psychiatrists, count, uh, therapists, um, education for the families about addiction and alcoholism. Because when you do the D.A.R.E. program, they don't talk about addiction. No, they, they don't. don't talk about alcohol. They just say, don't do it. Don't do it, kid. Here's, <laughs> here's your brain. Here's your brain on drugs. The and end. Two fun, the eggs. <laughs> the end. Therefore, we've made our point. Don't do it. Don't do it. We want. That's not it. Kids <laughs> right. are smart. Yes, they are. Children are so smart. They can soak this stuff up. And if you tell them what alcoholism and addiction can do to your body, that's not a scare tactic. That's education. Okay. I agree with that. I like that approach. So let's talk about your job that you currently have. So you work where right now? I work for the YMCA of Southampton Roads. And what position do you hold? I am a membership and wellness director. Okay. So membership and wellness director, what does that entail? I am in sales. Um, No. Yes. (laughs) Well, I I think the membership part does entail that. But what about the wellness director? So I run personal training, group fitness classes, wellness programs at active older adults. I uh, coach girls in the row and I coach soccer. I do. I do it all. (laughs) I do it all. Um, But what it allows me to do is engage with people on a personal level, a personal one-on-one intimate level where I can just be real with people about their health and what they want um, to get accomplished, you know? So what you have a membership? If you're not using it, we don't want you to waste that. Well, and how long have you been in this position? 
Three years. So with that, obviously, you could be going elsewhere or look somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Besides the money, clearly, what do you I enjoy? I know, but I'm saying <laughs> besides the actual having a job and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you enjoy the most about your oh, job? Oh, gosh. Well, I've had a couple incidences recently that were totally my higher power. Awesome. Which, and one happened which awesome. today, okay. and a couple happened a couple weeks ago. I am in the position to allow people to come in, and they tell me their story, and I help them get a membership based on their income, their social determinants of health, their socioeconomic status. Uh-huh. Um, it's basically my mission for healthcare for all, but from the why. Nice. You know, I, that I just made that up in my head. I just did that. I just you, thought of that. You are you are brilliant. <laughs> you should get a I master's just, degree. I just realized that's why I do what I'm doing because I can give healthcare to everybody. We are right. considered um, allied health. So a fitness center is an allied health, which means that we're like an adjunct. We're an arm to uh, preventative preventative healthcare. That's lovely. Yeah, and you really love that. I love it. I love that you're so passionate about it. So you specified that you've had some specific instances here lately that led you obviously into why this is your career field. So what would be some examples of maybe like, have you had someone that you worked with and then all of a sudden they come to you later and they're like, you just really made an impact because of A, B, C, D, anything like this? Oh, I had somebody I trained in California over 10 years ago and she messaged me out of the blue in 2008 and just revived my um, faith in people. She said, Channing, you started this um, journey in me and I will always be grateful to you. I didn't think I had that big of an impact in her life. I thought I was a crappy trainer at the time because I right. was always drunk. And um, so at the time, at no the time, longer, no longer, I right. was not paying attention to my clients, but I was able to give the the 10% that I was giving, they soaked up that 10% and I must have had an impact on people's lives. And I didn't realize that till way later. Okay. I thought I was doing this just to bring myself glory and it really doesn't at all. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that a lot of people don't realize in this you're not truly going to be able to pull all of this, like you just said, glory out of it. You end up finding out it's going to be the love you get back from the people who truly you change their lives. Yeah. They start doing this on a regular basis on their own because you've given them the guidance they needed. Self-autonomy. Self-autonomy. And so how often have you seen that here recently, especially now with COVID having hit, how much of a damper did that put on people and how successful is it to be able to help them come back into it? Oh, people are so thankful you give them the time and energy and um, get them inspired again. So, inspiration. And are you doing a lot more classes now? Teaching myself? Yes, yes. Uh, no, I backed off of teaching because I got a promotion to membership, and so I have to focus on some other revenue driving. Are you stuff. seeing a lot more people wanting to come back Heck in? Yeah, yeah, people are so just jamming through the doors. They're just ready to come back, and we're taking all the safety measures, which is the coolest thing ever. We've been doing this safely for 10 months, and people are coming back. I love that, They're too, so because excited. I think that's one of the key things to hit on for this, too, as well, with public health and public safety yeah. concerns. Yep. You guys are implementing a much cleaner space yep. to make sure everybody's safe. Yeah. So what are some changes that you guys have made so people know it is okay to come back? Because I know for me at my gym, the only thing <laughs> I've really seen has been extra cloths to wipe things down, the antibacterial cloths, well, the disposable ones, but that's it for me. We're doing distancing. We follow all the guidelines with group fitness, distancing um, 10 feet in the classrooms. Um, 
and uh, I can still train my clients one-on-one with masks on. It's not that hard. Um, it's not as hard to wear the mask, and we'll go into one of my favorite myths. Um, hypoxia. Good. Repeat it after me. Hypoxia. hypoxia. Um, so you just get you just get through the masking thing. It's not a huge deal. It's not an infringement of your rights. Um, it's just what we're doing right now, and <laughs> consequently, my kids have not been sick this year, so I've weird. saved a lot of money in How weird. medical costs <laughs> because they've been masking at school and not bringing home germs from the other kids. So. Absolutely. Um, so we're trying to do as much as we can, but promote health because um, what happened is everybody came, became very sedentary, and the average person gained fifteen to twenty pounds. I was getting ready to ask. So there is an average. Yeah. Fifteen to twenty pounds. Fifteen to twenty pounds. Wow. During the pandemic, pounds. Yeah, I think a lot of people have seen that. And are they having a hard time losing it? No, it's coming off pretty quickly because the, the first couple pounds are mostly water weight anyway. Oh, well, thank goodness for that. Yeah. All right, we're going to go ahead and take another break and we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Welcome back. So we are here with, once again, the amazing Channing, and we are going to be doing a little bit of a, like a little shoddy lightning round, if you will. So we're going to not do it so rapid fire, but I'm going to ask you some questions about concerning public health (laughs) and maybe historically whatnot. Just kind of give me some thoughts from your perspective as future Dr. Becker. <laughs> okay, so me, I don't. who is the grandfather of public health and epide- epidemiology? Oh my god! Oh my <laughs> god! I can't believe you just asked me that. I'm not ready for that. Okay, give me. So the answer, the grandfather, or rather father, father of, of public health, is John Snow. Yeah. Oh yeah, off of a Game of Thrones. <laughs> I remember that was a whole joke about it. God. He is known as the father of epidemiology due to how he was able to determine the source of cholera outbreaks. Cholera. God. Okay. You're you're going back. Okay. So, winter is coming. It's okay. Yeah. Winter is coming. Winter's always coming here. I forgot that we used to joke about that all the time. Heart disease, stroke, and lung cancer often result from health damaging personal habits and are examples of blank diseases chronic chronic diseases so what can somebody do to prevent that what might somebody be doing in order to have these issues smoking 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 so mostly, mostly smoking causes lung cancer Yes. People can get lung cancer without smoking, but that's environmental factors. But most of the time, I was going to say there is definitely a There's correlation definitely there. There's definitely a correlation. <laughs> There's definitely a correlation. I tried my first year not to, but it was like, because I was a smoker. And um, I tried my first year to be like, it's not just from smoking. And <laughs> it definitely really is most of the time. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. The suffix 
Ia means vomiting, destruction, separation, breakdown, state of condition, or pain. Like diarrhea. Wait, what? <laughs> Hold on. I can't say this. Yeah, not IA. IA. So at, IA. Yeah. I thought you said EA. IA. IA. Like osteopenia, the condition of having. What were the choices? Would it be either A, vomiting, B, not vomiting. destruction, separation, breakdown, C, state of or condition, or D, pain? State of or condition. State of or condition. What was the example that you used? That was a good one. Osteopenia. What is that? It is. Osteopenia is before osteoporosis. <laughs> so it has to do with bones. It has to do with bones. <laughs> it's the, break, the state or condition of your bones. Okay. So, did you do any historical studies on what was going on with public health before now? I did um, a communicable diseases in their control class. That was three years ago. So, let me see if I remember anything. I did have a really cool book. It's called 12 Diseases That Changed the World. So, what did indigenous tribes do about sanitation? Do you have any examples of that? No, not at all. <laughs> Why do we never study that? So it's talking about sanitation oh. as referring to processes for ensuring that water is clean enough to oh, drink. No, um, that was the whole thing in London. Was just all the, the all we just didn't have clean drinking water. Half of these diseases would be cured if they and they were because we got better drinking water and washed our hands I wash was, your damn I hands there, wash your damn hands i was friends. there the romans build aqueducts, aqueducts. I, was, I watched them that's the doctor of public <laughs> health Liz herself was back lizzo with the romans <laughs> <laughs> okay aqueducts <laughs> since liz Aqua. actually helped establish Aqua. much of rome she yeah. would know <laughs> So that's that's a good one. Okay, so here we go. The core public health function assessment means A, planning at federal, state, and local levels. B, evaluation of programs. C, data collection of health issues. Or D, all are correct. All are correct. Okay, so what would that be? The core public health function assessment. Core, core public health function assessment. Hold on. Yeah, core he- public health function assessment. Wait a minute. It's not. It's uh, It's not all of the above. Hold on. So the core public health function assessment means A, planning at federal, state, and local levels. B, evaluation of programs. Evaluation of programs. Okay. So programs like what? What would we be talking about? Dare. <laughs> <laughs> She hates Nancy Reagan. <laughs> I love Nancy Reagan. She just has a shit program that, that, you know why it keeps going? Why? Culture. They don't know any better. Like the police officers they haven't don't come up with know, a better solution. They haven't come up with anything else. So 30 freaking years of this program that's. Drugs are bad. Drugs are bad. <laughs> but that leads it's to. It's a cute dog. Okay, so DARE is a public health program, but the other successful program for the public, well, rather a public program, but not public health related, would be Smokey the Bear. Don't prevent yeah, forest fires. I think that's been pretty successful. Yes, it's true. It's a public <laughs> program, yeah. But not public health. You gotta put, like, a character to it. People remember cartoon characters. So what would so, you put, like, weed, 
the drug store. <laughs> <laughs> Rastafarian Rob the weed. Rastafarian Rob. Rastafarian Rob. <laughs> what do you do? Like the anti dope band. You do the white bunny for cocaine. You like have this white rabbit that goes down the hole, like just jumps. Oh wait a minute, there's we're this, back in Alice in Wonderland. There's a I love song it. about that called there, White Rabbit. No, isn't there? Oh and my they god! Come on the end of the on the, the, the set. So. Oh. Okay, so what is evidenced based practice? Oh, oh, practice in public health. Evidence-based practice? It's Mm -hmm. using data and all of the things that you've gathered to implement a program. So what would you say one of the biggest programs to be implemented using evidence-based practice would be? That that people for public health would know that. Is there an example of that? I mean, the biggest one I I guess I would... My brain is all over. I mean, the biggest thing I would think of would be using masks. Well, there's using also masks and using ma- oh yeah 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 you know, using masks okay like yeah. using masks and you know hand sanitizers hand sanitizer, and stuff all of that stuff six foot butt. distancing yeah wiping your butt please do and then and then Charmin shortage wash your hands wash your hands yes um, I think that's interesting you're not giving me amount of time to think <laughs> it's okay this is why it's called rapid, rapid fire. fire. <laughs> Rapid fire crotch. It's okay. Hey, I didn't call you that. You did. Um, I told them I was a redhead. You told them I was a fire crotch. Okay. So, explain the public health significance of the health behavior immunizations, flu vaccine, e.g., as in i.e., prevalence, population, morbidity, mortality. I just got done taking exams about Michael, this about this please so spare me do you think <laughs> what do you think people should be getting immunizations aka should they be getting vaccines and all of these things or is there oh, really a risk for them okay yeah there's always a risk for everything there's a risk when you walk out of your house you might get hit by a bus you might get hit by you anything. might win a million dollars honestly i i had reservations but once i did a little bit more research about the mrna and Knowing that I've put worse things up my nose, I was not opposed to a vaccine. So what I love that nobody listening knows was there was actually a text that was sent out a while ago in a group chat. And she said something. I said, I said, all y'all motherfuckers better get a vaccine because I know what you used to put up your nose. Or in your body. And in your body. Yes. And I mean, I read it and I I just thought like. in it. Well, I just. Meanwhile, you're scarfing down Taco Bell. Well, no, but see, I read it and I didn't think much of it, but. I know, I know of the ones that read it and reached directly out to me, and they were like, "What the fuck does she think she is judging me?" I was like, "I think that you're projecting Hector Projector." <laughs> That's our new cartoon character for public health. No, it was a great one. It was just hilarious to me because it's like it's just like anything, right? A text message. If you get so offended over a text message. Maybe you need to think about what you're really upset about. What is your role in it? <laughs> yeah. What is your role? What is your part? What are you fearing? What fear is that stemming from? Fear of vaccination. And maybe you should call your parents or maybe a preacher or maybe your sponsor. sponsor. <laughs> and then after they talk, they're going to tell you, just trust me, okay? Just Have a good me. night. Thanks. <laughs>